Hello and welcome to episode 47 of the Tech Reformation, where the world of technology meets the worldview of Christianity. I'm Ben. I'm Craig. And I'm Derek. Still no tank this week. Nope. Nope. He's doing other important things, though. So that's Hopefully fair. he's back in two weeks. We'll see. <laughs> cool. So we have some follow-up this week. Uh, this The first one is uh, completely my own. But uh, you know how last week you guys uh, gave, me a, gave me a hard time about the name Scrivener for our writing application? Can we skip this follow-up? <laughs> no! <laughs> no, I must vindicate Scrivener myself. Scrivener is lame. <laughs> Scribe is lame. an old term for written material. And, and, and this week, Derek reads the dictionary to us. <laughs> uh, never mind. Okay, moving on. <laughs> no, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, no. It's totally cool. Tell us. Tell yep. us how totally cool Scrivener is. I'm, I'm just saying. It's, it's a totally legitimate It's a totally legitimate word to describe a writing application. Plus, it's a word that's not used very much, so it's unique. And it's still way better than Pages. So. Pages is lame. Scrivener is cool. Up with Scrivener, down with Pages. <laughs> Boo, Pages. I gotta say, I agree with Ben on this one. I, I feel, I feel like you guys are mocking me. <laughs> Just a little bit. Uh, I'm not gonna say that I'm not making fun of you, but uh, I don't know if I'd I, say that I am. I'm not making fun of you. I'm making fun of the word. It's, it's an old school word, which means it's awesome. In other news this week, uh, Ben screwed up someone else's uh, name pronunciation. Shocking. <laughs> really? Who was it this time? It was Brad Bienhoff. Is it Bienhoff or Bienhoff? No, Bye. He, he definitely said Bye. Yeah, I know I said yeah. Bienhoff, which is wrong, but yes. it's Bienhoff. All right. I believe so. That is Deal. a cool last name, by the way. Well, I won't do that one wrong again until the next time I do it wrong, so <laughs> sorry, Brad. Ben, did you ha do you have any, like... I really want to talk about the iOS 10 beta. All right. Do you have like Do you have like initial thoughts about it? Because I know you've been running it for the past couple of weeks. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Derek? I hope we can still be friends, but I actually am on iOS 9 again. Really? Yeah. As of about a week or so ago, maybe. Uh huh. So I probably had it for like a week total. Mm hmm. Oh, oh, you switched back to iOS 9. Sorry, I missed that. Yes, I switched back. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. What didn't you like about it? There's a orientation bug, which is pretty devastating, particularly if you play Pokemon Go with the AR turned on, uh, because you can never find the Pokemon. But then I found oh. out that it's actually cooler to just play it without the AR uh, on. But anyway, also, yeah. it's really slow, and um, messages in particular is very slow, and yeah. Hey, Derek, notice how messages is just messages? Like it's just the, it's the word of what is in the application. Oh, I'm not saying <laughs> Apple is great at naming their applications. <laughs> anyway, continue. Yeah, yeah, I, I I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying about the bugginess. Um, but if if the bugs were not there, what do you think about it? Like, I, I guess um, you just you just switch back because of the bugs. Yes, I switch back because of the, because of the bugs. I actually submitted two feedback reports, um, with the feedback assistant app and. Yeah, then a couple days later, I got rid of it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I like a lot. There's a lot to like. I like the new control center. It's a lot, a lot better. The new notification center. I'm. There are some pros and some cons. Um, everything is a lot bigger, which means you can't see as much on your screen. And I have an iPhone six plus, so I liked the fact that I could see a lot on my screen. But now, you can't like you can't close notifications um, by application anymore. They're just all in one flow. 
And so you can either close notifications one by one or close everything all at once, which my workflow is just not, that doesn't work. Well, you can, you can close it by day. Um, I don't think I ever had them hanging around long enough to test that. So I probably oh, okay. didn't know that. Yeah. So thanks for telling me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess that doesn't bother me too much because I don't typically get a lot of, have notifications set up to be running on a lot of my apps just because they distract me. But yeah, that's fair. That is totally fair. What do you think of it, Derek? I I like it a lot, except for there's, yeah, there's a couple of, there's a couple of pretty bad bugs. Uh, I guess they must have changed something with how they measure orientation and like the API or whatever, because yeah, with like Facebook, the, the, the rotation doesn't work quite right with videos because mm-hmm. they don't use Safari view controller, which drives me crazy, but that's Facebook. Um, and a sound bug that has really been driving me up the wall. Um, cause it'll, it'll randomly switch back and forth between headphones and, uh, and the phone speakers, which is, I mean, this is all trivial cause it'll, it'll, it'll get fixed eventually, but even with the new update they, j- they just put out, it's not fixed, but anyway, it is a remarkably stable beta though. Uh, as far as I know from past year, like I haven't had an app that crashes on launch or anything like that so far, which is pretty good. Yeah. I don't remember. I honestly don't remember if I have or not, or if I did or not. Mm-hmm. But it is still a beta, folks. Yeah, it is. I'm curious how much of the listener base has tried it or has it right now, the iOS 10 public beta um, on your device. So if you would, uh, jump in the Slack and let us know in episode discussion. If you, Just tell us if you have it, because my guess is it's a very small percentage that does, which is fine. Uh, but, you know, if the vast majority still are on iOS 9, uh, you know, we don't need 200 people telling us that I'm still on iOS 9. Or right. Whatever. Just the 10 that are trying the beta, I would love to hear from you. So jump in the Slack, slack.techreformation.com, and let us know in the episode discussion channel. This is Tech You Should Know, the part of the show where we bring you seven tech news stories from throughout the past week that we feel are worth your consideration. Apple Music's matching algorithm is about to get way better. Currently, Apple hosts two music-related services for people to buy, Apple Music and iTunes Match. Apple Music is, of course, their music streaming service, and iTunes Match is a service that reads your entire library's audio fingerprint and either matches it to songs on iTunes or uploads it to the cloud so that you can access your music anywhere. Apple Music does have a method of matching songs, but it's not the same. It relies more on metadata than, than the actual content, like the bits of your files. So naturally, it's way less reliable. But that's being fixed by Apple. Uh, Apple Music's matching algorithm is being replaced by the iTunes Match technology entirely, making matching more reliable as well as making the matched music DRM-free. This will also solve that pesky problem that people were, people were having a while back where they would upgrade to Apple Music and then you know delete all the songs off of their computer and then unsubscribe from Apple Music and see that all the songs are gone. And yeah, so... This is a good thing. That happened to me a couple times. Oh.
Twitter this week opened up verification to the unwashed masses. Up until now... Not really. Yeah, not really. Up until now, only 187,000 users have been verified out of 310 million monthly active users, which is about 0.06%. Okay, when you said only 180,000, I was like, only 180,000, <laughs> but then the proportion makes it... Yeah. yeah I got you. Keep yeah. going. It's actually a pretty significant <laughs> number considering that Twitter only manually verifies people up until now. But now you can apply for that little blue check mark. You need to make sure your account lists, verified phone number, and email addresses, uh, bio, profile picture, birthday, and website. Twitter will also want to know why you should be verified and may ask for a government ID to confirm your identity. Ben, did you apply to be verified? Don't do it. Don't waste your time. <laughs> yes, I did. The day it was available, and it's such a waste of time. I already got my rejection email. Yeah, I got my rejection email this morning. I was so sad. And I was seeing all these people it's on like, Twitter that are verified now, and I'm like, I'm not important enough. Why are they... Well, I don't understand why you would open verification up to the public if you're not going to verify people who's... Like, we are legitimately the people who are represented by the accounts we've created. To yeah. me, that's a blue check mark. If you're going to open it up to the public. I get the whole, like, blue check mark before, you know, last week... It was like, well, you got to be famous or you got to have a certain number of followers or you got to like people have to know who you are. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. That's fine. But opening it up to the public to apply to be verified tells me that it's really just more of a, an identity authentication thing. Yeah. Which is like, okay, give me a blue check mark because I'm Ben Robin. There's nobody else uh, like me who's represented by all these tweets that I'm firing off. So mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just, you know what? I think it's, I think it is persecution because my bio <laughs> says I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. <laughs> So, you know what? Paul says, if, you gonna, if you're following Jesus Christ, you will be persecuted. And uh, man, my day has come. <laughs> First world problems. That was a joke. Some of my friends who are listening to this will probably be pissed off about what I just said, but uh, I was kidding. That was yeah, a joke. And so considering just take a chill pill. <laughs> and considering more Twitter news this week, that's actually kind of a sensitive thing, but we'll get to that. Yeah, that's fair. A Japanese telecommunications giant SoftBank is making a run at acquiring Arm Holdings for 23.4 billion pounds. If you aren't familiar with Arm, your world has certainly been changed by their technology. Their designs for core engines and chips are integral to most smartphones on the market today, including Apple iPhones and Samsung Galaxy phones. SoftBank is looking to invest in the future with Internet of Things, cars, and servers as ARM already has an immense amount of influence in that arena and will just continue to grow in that. Milo Yiannopoulos has been banned from Twitter. He's spent a while now making the life of Ghostbusters star Leslie Jones a living hell by drumming up racist abuse from his followers. This isn't new for Yiannopoulos, since he also took advantage of the Gamergate movement to put himself as a figurehead and make the lives of females in the gaming industry a living hell then, too. And so, Twitter has banned him for life from the service. This is unfortunately unprecedented. It marks new actions on behalf of Twitter to protect the people that use the service and attempt to keep out trolls. In a statement, Twitter said, People should be able to express diverse opinions and beliefs on Twitter. But no one deserves to be subjugated to targeted abuse online, and our rules prohibit inciting or engaging in the targeted abuse or harassment of others. Over the past 48 hours in particular, we've seen an uptick in the number of accounts violating these policies and have taken enforcement actions against these accounts, ranging from warnings that also require the deletion of tweets violating our policies to permanent suspension. I think this is a good this is a good move for Twitter. There's been a long long thing on the internet where like free speech has almost been the 
way the internet, like the law of the internet unofficially. Um, same with like Reddit and stuff. And I just don't think it's working. It's not a great idea for, for people who are in the public eye to have such an easy way to be uh, harassed like this. So I think they're going to have to be really consistent with it, though. They're going to have to be heaps more consistent than they have been in the past. Obviously, this is, a, this is the first time this has happened in, to this level. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen plenty of celebrities getting absolutely smashed um, by people on Twitter before and to the point where they make comments like, all right, you've won, and then they disappear out of the limelight for, you know, weeks because they're, you know, trying to deal with issues of, um, and, you know, yeah, poor celebrities. They've got lots of money. Um, let's feel sorry for them. But by the same token, they're people too, and I mm-hmm. think – um, Twitter has in the past been a dumping ground for harassment. So yeah, that's um, for sure. I think if they're going to do this, they're going to follow through with it on on um, other levels as well. Yeah, absolutely. I don't even know who that is. So sorry for being ignorant. Um, I thought he was a political commentator more than he is. But anyway, he is. He's a conservative activist, blogger type guy. With a lot of followers who are terrible people. I guess I've just noticed this trend where... So, this this is so interesting because the people who I'm about to... I think the people who I'm about to talk about are going to think that I'm a terrible person and perhaps berate me, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's really just more of a commentary on what I'm about to say. Um, <laughs> but I've noticed this thing that happens on the internet where... When someone's considered a terrible person, it's considered a good thing to be a terrible person back to them. Yeah, that's not and good I don't something just doesn't sit right with me about that. I don't know. I'm not I'm not legitimizing anything that this guy's doing. I don't even know him or who he is or what he's why people don't like him. Um so maybe I don't know. But it's like, you know, people love to do like uh I was saw a friend sent over the John Stewart Donald Trump thing uh that happened last night, I guess. And then there was a one a while back with uh with um, John Oliver doing the same thing, and it's just really interesting. I I don't know. I feel really weird about it. It's like I don't I don't like Trump. I'm not uh, I'm not going to vote for him or anything. But um, I don't know. It just seems really weird. It's like people really cheer on being mean to terrible people. I guess quote unquote terrible people. Like I don't know. I I just think we're all terrible people. So it's hard for me to justify being mean to someone else on that basis. I guess yeah. I don't know. But that involves you looking at the speck in your own eye, and a lot of people won't do that. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's all it is. I don't know. It's just always felt kind of weird to me lately about that. I don't know. I think it tends to be a uh, reaction to not being able to do anything else or not having anyone else like hold the offending party accountable. Nobody is... like This has happened on, on Twitter for a long time. You know, people... Often when you see a troll conversation, you will have someone, you'll have the troll attacking the person and then a bunch of other people piling onto the troll and it just keeps going back and forth because there's no like authority above that to really, um, you know, break it up, so to speak, and and serve justice. And so everyone wants to serve justice in the mob mentality. And yeah. Yeah, we've talked about that. Yeah. If you're a Verizon user that is held onto their unlimited data plan and use over 100 gigabytes a month, they're going to be cutting you off soon. Because, seriously, 100 gigabytes a month? 
They've tried upping fees for everyone and then throttling data for heavy users before, but net neutrality forced them to drop the data throttling. Now, if you fall into the over 100 gigabyte a month category, you will be disconnected from the network on August 31st, unless you agree to move to limited data packages that require payment for overage fees. Periscope is doing its best to keep up with its younger brother Facebook Live by now enabling users to embed their live streams anywhere on the internet. It's not a huge thing, but it shows that Periscope hasn't quite laid over on its back in defeat yet. They're also introducing a feature called Highlights, which automatically generates trailers for Periscope streams. And finally this week, Elon Musk is doing his Elon Musk thing by planning the complete downfall and destruction of the oil industry. In a post on the Tesla website, he has laid out the new version of this master plan, part two, stating that the original master plan is all but fulfilled. In this plan, there are four major goals to make a fantastic solar roof with battery product that just works, expand the variety of vehicles that Tesla makes to cover major forms of terrestrial transport, including SUVs, pickups, semis, and buses, develop self-driving capability that is 10 times safer than manual via massive fleet learning, and to enable your car to make you money by essentially renting it out for the day to drive people around once the self-driving thing is all figured out. Well, that sounds neat. Yeah, it does. Considering he fulfilled (laughs) on his last one... You know, I'm excited to see where this goes. I don't think he'll crush the oil industry, though. (laughs) Well, yeah, that'll take a while, but that's all the tech you should know this week. If we left out something you think we should have considered, please feel free to email us at ask at techreformation.com. And for more tech you should know throughout the week, follow us on Twitter at Tech Reformation. Hey guys, you know what really throttles my data? Yeah, I, I want to know. What, what you're looking a bit agitated, Ben? What throttles your data? <laughs> um, you know what it is. Oh man, this one's gonna be bad too. I think I'm gonna get a lot of angry feedback this, uh, this week. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> tech support, and I don't mean when I call for tech support. I mean when people call me for tech support <laughs> because I don't do tech support, and yet somehow I keep getting asked to do tech support for. Almost everyone I know, particularly friends and family, mm-hmm. um, and you guys probably know what this is like, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, our listeners, I'm sure, know what this is like. Also, it's like when you are when you are the the one person in the room or the family uh, or the friend group who knows the most about technological things, which still could be very very little, uh, but you know the most. You become the authoritative expert on every topic that is even somewhat tangentially related to technology and it's it's astonishing Mm -hmm. um when i worked i worked at a gas company once uh and i worked with uh the pipeline business and one of the pipeline engineers told me one time i don't understand why people do this like i'm in a meeting with some it folks and everybody in the meeting is trying to get the projector to work and they stop the meeting so that the it guy can fix the projector but that's not what he does (laughs) and this this pipeline engineer was like that'd be like if I came to your house and we were having dinner and then all of a sudden you asked me to come fix your toilet, it's just not the same thing. And I was like, man, that's a helpful analogy. Um, yeah. And that's what I feel like sometimes. Like I'm asked to fix the projector uh, and I don't know anything about projectors. And like I get, you know, general troubleshooting skills and I, obviously I employ those at, at times like these. But uh, So, you know how to turn things off and on again, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost <laughs> like Super Nintendo 
uh, just pull it out, blow in it, and push it back in and turn it on and see if it works. And if it yeah. doesn't, I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> so I, it's just, it's, uh, it's kind, of, kind of a weird phenomenon, I think. Something that you could try to uh, help get the message across in a gentle way that you are not necessarily there to be tech support for everyone all the time. Um, I have a good relationship with my in-laws, but they, <laughs> my father-in-law at one point was having lots of trouble with, I think it was his phone or his internet connection or something, um, and he would joke about it with me. And so, what I did was the next birthday that came around or the next Father's Day, I can't remember which one, one of the two, I did up a little voucher for him that said like one hour of free tech support um, to be used within the next 12 months. And he laughed, but he kind of also went, oh, yeah, I have been sort of asking you a lot to do, <laughs> like to fix things um, that you don't necessarily know how to fix. Um, so, maybe try that. Maybe just for, for the repeat offenders who are constantly on your back about it, just limit their, limit their time that they can take up. Well, I will say this. Uh, there's a good way to do this and a bad way to do it for sure. Um, you know... Like, I don't mind. In fact, I kind of enjoy helping with a lot of these problems that people ask about, you know? Sure. I'm sure yeah. you guys do too. Uh, and like, especially when people get new, like fun technology, you know, somebody gets a drone for Christmas and they're like, hey, can you help me figure out how to work this thing? <laughs> yeah, totally. I would love to That's do that. That's like Can fun. you play with my drone with me? <laughs> yeah. Why, why, would, why would I not do that? But, you know, like even uh, I remember a time semi-recently that my wife was kind of asking me to do sort of a tech supporty thing. And I love my wife. She's great. And she's also hilarious. And uh, this particular time, I was like, I don't really know, like, you know, kind of in the gentle way that you're talking about, Craig, I don't really know how to do this. I, like, I understand that it might seem like I do know how, but I don't. And so, what I'm just, what I'm doing, which I think you could do too, is I'm just going to Google it and try to figure out what the answer is. And if that doesn't work, you know, I'll try one thing, I'll Google it again, and I'll try something else. If that doesn't work, I'll just repeat the process, right? Mm -hmm. And she was like, I, I don't Google. You're my Google. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you're cute. I'll do whatever you want. So, Aww. anyway, uh, so yeah, when um, everyone expects you to know everything about everything, that really throttles my data. Yeah, I know what you mean, because ever, especially now that I am IT guy for church part time, like basically I go over whenever in my free time and I log hours and, you know, like three hours a month or whatever. Um, but everybody at church knows that I'm the IT guy now. And so I will sometimes get personal calls for uh, for doing IT work and <laughs> which amuses me because, you know, you know, I don't have all the time in the world. <laughs> But yeah, that I, I I can definitely definitely see where you're coming from. It's just sort of weird. You know the times that are good and you know the times that are bad really well, you know? Yep. Yep. Mm. yep. I don't know if I could quantify it, but I definitely feel it when I'm in it. <laughs> right. Right. I feel the difference, you know? Uh, anyway. Yeah. So that's what throttles my data. This week's episode of Tech Reformation is brought to you by Audible, the leading provider of spoken word entertainment in the known galaxy. They have over 200,000 audio programs to choose from, tons and tons of audiobooks. If you think of your favorite book, they probably have it in their library. And Audible has really revitalized my love of books. Um, 
Back when I was little, I used to devour books like crazy. And of course, once you get older and you find out, hey, I need to do a full-time job. You know, I, I don't have time to read books all the time. Um, that kind of ha- went to the wayside for me. But finding Audible has been a great way to exercise my imagination through the words of fantastic authors. One of my favorite series so far that I have downloaded from Audible is Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn Trilogy. Brandon Sanderson is a master with words and building worlds. Um, he he can create incredibly detailed worlds that there's always another secret behind. Uh, it, it keeps you hooked. It keeps you going novel after novel. And these Mistborn books are like 24 hours long. So it'll take it'll take you you know a good long time to complete. You're totally getting your money's worth for this. If you decide you want to try out Audible. They have a 30-day free trial. You can get one book free um, just for signing up. You can cancel after that if you don't if you decide you don't want it. But um, I highly recommend keeping going with it because it is, you know, I'm I'm not a huge fan of subscriptions, but Audible is a subscription that both me and my wife enjoy a lot. We uh, we find books, we share them with each other, and and you know we enjoy audiobooks together. So. To get your free trial, you can go to audibletrial.com slash techreformation. That's audibletrial.com slash techreformation for your 30-day free trial and free audiobook. And thank you to Audible for sponsoring Tech Reformation. Hey everyone, this is Dave Seif from the podcast Spurgeon Audio. If you're like me... You're someone who has been inspired by the work of so many great men of God who spent their lives pouring out their heart's desires for their listeners and readers to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In this podcast, we take that love and turn it into an exploration of the sermons of Charles Spurgeon, as well as discuss the issues of the day, talk with guests, and listen to music made to rejoice in the goodness of God's glorious grace. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and your favorite podcast catcher, and of course, here on the Theology Mix Podcast Network. Join us as we podcast the Prince of Preachers to the glory of God. And now it's time for our main topic, and this week we're going to do another round on self-driving cars. Um, listeners may remember that we have talked about self-driving cars before in episode 20, uh, in which we kind of just speculated a little bit on what a world full of self-driving cars uh, would look like for our Christian life, for our everyday duties and jobs and things. And um, yeah, it was pretty interesting. I listened back to that one this week because I knew we were going to do round two and uh, enjoyed that, and wanted to bring out a couple of specific things as we get into it. Um, Derek, I got to call you out for something. Uh Uh-oh. But we'll do that in a second. (laughs) So, this week particularly, you know, last last week we had Tim Challies on, and he talked about self-driving cars being particularly interesting to him, and one of the things he brought out was the um, morality aspect. So, um, you know, programmers programming a decision, which is actually reactionary, um, when it's it's a normal driver. And so, uh, Alex Humphrey of The Rugged Marriage 
sent me over a while back, sent me over a short uh, TEDx YouTube video. It's like four minutes long, pretty short, um, that talks about this sort of conundrum or this dilemma of self-driving cars where we, we program responses that we would tend to um, react to instead of, you know, premeditate essentially. And so we want to play this video and then we want to discuss it and uh, we'll see where it goes. This is a thought experiment. Let's say at some point in the not-so-distant future, you're barreling down the highway in your self-driving car, and you find yourself boxed in on all sides by other cars. Suddenly, a large, heavy object falls off the truck in front of you. Your car can't stop in time to avoid the collision, so it needs to make a decision. Go straight and hit the object, swerve left into an SUV, or swerve right into a motorcycle. Should it prioritize your safety by hitting the motorcycle? Minimize danger to others by not swerving, even if it means hitting the large object and sacrificing your life? Or take the middle ground by hitting the SUV, which has a high passenger safety rating? So what should the self-driving car do? If we were driving that boxed-in car in manual mode, whichever way we'd react would be understood as just that, a reaction, not a deliberate decision. It would be an instinctual panicked move with no forethought or malice. But if a programmer were to instruct the car to make the same move, given conditions it may sense in the future, well, that looks more like premeditated homicide. Now, to be fair, self-driving cars are predicted to dramatically reduce traffic accidents and fatalities by removing human error from the driving equation. Plus, there may be all sorts of other benefits, eased road congestion, decreased harmful emissions, and minimized unproductive and stressful driving time. But accidents can and will still happen, and when they do, their outcomes may be determined months or years in advance by programmers or policymakers. And they'll have some difficult decisions to make. It's tempting to offer up general decision-making principles like minimize harm, but even that quickly leads to morally murky decisions. For example, Let's say we have the same initial setup, but now there's a motorcyclist wearing a helmet to your left and another one without a helmet to your right. Which one should your robot car crash into? If you say the biker with the helmet because she's more likely to survive, then aren't you penalizing the responsible motorist? If instead you say the biker without the helmet because he's acting irresponsibly, then you've gone way beyond the initial design principle about minimizing harm, and the robot car is now meeting out street justice. The ethical considerations get more complicated here. In both of our scenarios, the underlying design is functioning as a targeting algorithm of sorts. In other words, it's systematically favoring or discriminating against a certain type of object to crash into. And the owners of the target vehicles will suffer the negative consequences of this algorithm through no fault of their own. Our new technologies are opening up many other novel ethical dilemmas. For instance, if you had to choose between a car that would always save as many lives as possible in an accident, or one that would save you at any cost, which would you buy? What happens if the cars start analyzing and factoring in the passengers of the cars and the particulars of their lives? Could it be the case that a random decision is still better than a predetermined one designed to minimize harm? And who should be making all of these decisions anyhow? Programmers? Companies? Governments? Reality may not play out exactly like our thought experiments, 
but that's not the point. They're designed to isolate and stress test our intuitions on ethics, just like science experiments do for the physical world. Spotting these moral hairpin turns now will help us maneuver the unfamiliar road of technology ethics and allow us to cruise confidently and conscientiously into our brave new future. Okay, so there's the video. Uh, you can find it on YouTube. The link's in the show notes if you want to see the animations, um, which sort of helped to, to clarify the point. I, I think it's very well done um, in terms of production value and his his explaining of the issue. It definitely is tricky, and I'm not going to personally pretend like I have all the answers to the tough questions, mm -hmm. but I do think there's a lot to talk about, um, and I think it's very important. Uh, you know, I mentioned Alex earlier. When he was on with us talking about CRISPR, he said, we've got to think about this and talk about this and come up with answers because the world's going to think about it and come up with their own answers uh, without us if we don't. And so, we definitely want to bring the Christian worldview to bear on this very important issue in which, I mean, lives are at stake. Um, and so, you know, I wrote down a couple of things that I wanted to talk through from the video, but I want to open it up to you guys first. Do you have any initial thoughts on the issue? My initial thought was from a, it was kind of uh, triggered, I guess, by looking at the visuals in the video as well as listening to the voiceover. Um, I don't know, Ben, you mentioned that um, it's well put together and it is. Um, the one thing I did think was that uh, what was portrayed in the video, I guess, the scenario was uh, something falling off the back of a vehicle in front of you and then you have people in the lane either side of you and those people were driving squarely in the middle of that lane. Um, and yet when it said that the car swerves, the car almost did like a left-hand or right-hand turn. Like it wasn't just a swerve like forwards and slightly to the left, for example, to go around the car in front of you or the, the obstacle that has fallen off the back of the truck. Um, so I guess all I'm saying is understand the video as a representation of the thought experiment rather than um, a literal picture. Uh, but I guess one of the things that that reminded me of is that um, even in the reactions, even in the moves that the self-driving car might take to avoid these things, I don't necessarily think it's as black or white as the, what the video said. So the video is kind of saying if you swerve, you're definitely going to hit X or Y, which one do you want to hit? Which one's more ethical to hit? Um, and I think in a realistic driving si situation, um, there are sometimes other options. You can sometimes swerve without actually just knocking someone off their motorbike, for example. Um, but as a thought experiment, I still think it's perfectly valid. Um, and I think it's uh, it does become really difficult when you're looking at um, of two people, which one is less likely to get hurt in any given situation, um, and then whether or not you're penalizing the person who's doing the right thing in terms of protecting themselves with a the helmet or um, a more solid car or something. Like, it's just that's where for me it gets quite difficult, and I'm not exactly sure that I have an answer yet. I think that. Well, I, I first, first of all, I don't think that they're saying that uh, this is every car crash scenario but that this is a scenario like this is a scenario that could very potentially occur um i think the majority of the time like regardless self-driving cars will bring down the the crashes in america by an astronomical amount but there will be sometimes that self-driving cars can't get around it and this is just i appreciate i actually really appreciated this video because it 
uh, figured out an analogy that, or, or not an analogy, but an example that I couldn't like worm around, like figure out, oh no, wait, there is this, you know, fourth option that it could take. Um, but yeah, anyway, just wanted to say that. It's definitely really interesting. Um, so I, I wanted to talk just initially about the, there's a difference I see in category here. And I think the video is mostly talking about, um, the injury issue, like, and particularly if you end up, if this, in, if the scenario ends in a death, um, and that that decision is sort of premeditated by the programmer or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then there's a huge difference between reaction and decision. That's sort of their main point, it seems like. Um, I wanted to make a distinction between who's at fault. Um, so like who deals with the situation financially, suppose there's not a death involved, right? Who pays the hospital bills? Uh, who pays for the damage to the, the other cars, uh, the other, the other material that to me sounds like a separate issue than, uh, sort of guilt, if you will, in terms of say there is a death, who is responsible for that? Is that, um, it's probably not murder, but is that uh, manslaughter? Um, if we talk in sort of legal terms, mm-hmm. is it premeditated or is it incidental, accidental, um, you know, and that's sort of the other side of the distinction I'm trying to make here. So, uh, in shorthand, fault versus guilt uh, is how I was kind of thinking about it. Maybe those words aren't particularly perfect, but um, yeah. And I guess to me, one of them's a lot easier than the other. <laughs> yeah. And so, the fault side, where you talk about who pays for damages or who pays for hospital bills, right? Um, at least in the U.S., my understanding today is when you get like a sports car. Um, that, you know, is maybe drives faster or is more less safe in terms of, uh, there's an accident damage, damage occurs or, or, um, health is injured in some way. It goes back on the car company for designing the car. Right. Uh, and then typically the car company will push that back on consumers by making the car, the product cost more to them. And so there's sort of a shifting there, uh, whether that's positive or negative, I'm not really talking about, but that's sort of how they handle it today. I don't see why that would be any different than the person selling the self-driving car or maybe even developing the self-driving car, uh, taking responsibility for damages or hospitals or whatever. Um, and then maybe even that going back to consumers in terms of price, um, either or, or both, uh, it, that to me seems fairly resolvable, but the issue of life, uh, in terms of how, how is that prosecuted, if you will, seems really tricky. It, with the scenario and the video in mind, cause it, I think it is a good one. And like Derek said, it's one where, uh, it, it could feasibly happen quite easily. And so it's one that we have to consider and go, okay, what, what do we think about that particular scenario? Um, <clears throat> I think, for example, if, if the vehicle in front had been another self-driving car and it, it was just a regular car, then the whole issue wouldn't have happened. But the thing was, it was a vehicle towing something or a vehicle with a load, at least, that was mm-hmm. that was loose um, and came. That, w- that was what actually caused the original problem. So, And that's going to happen, even if we have self-driving um, utility vehicles or trucks or whatever you call them in America. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Things are going to come off the back or at least have the potential to be loose. Um, so in that scenario, my tendency would be to say from an ethical standpoint, if you're looking at who's to blame, probably the person who didn't secure the load well enough, um, rather than the person in the self-driving car or the programmer of the self-driving car who was just doing their job to try and make the the self-driving car as safe as possible. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I was thinking is that, um, every single time, I think Francis Chan talks about this in one of his books. Um, and I can't remember what point he's making there, but 
every single time any of us at the moment go out onto the road, we are acknowledging the fact that if you're driving 60 kilometers an hour, 80 kilometers an hour, whatever, relatively quickly, um, along a road that's not a freeway and it doesn't have a concrete barrier in the middle, um, you are trusting that the people on the other side of the road heading the opposite direction and not at the last minute going to jerk their arm to the to the left or right and slam straight into you head on. Mm-hmm. So, we already make decisions every time we get in a car to believe that the people around us are doing their best to keep them safe and in doing so, doing their best to keep us safe as well. Um, and maybe they're just looking out for number one, but the flow-on effect is that they're also making it, the road fairly safe for other people. And so, I, I guess I wonder whether or not... Um, a programmer doing the same thing, trying to have the safest possible scenario. Um, will it be perfect? No, just like every driver doesn't make perfect decisions, even though they're trying to be safe. Um, but I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't, I'm not really comfortable with it, with the sort of the blame being pushed back onto the pro- programmer of the car. Yeah. As long as it can be proven that that programmer's intention was good in terms of being able to, um, look at the the best case scenario from any given incident and program for that to be the option that's taken as opposed to something else. The helmet issue, I think, is an interesting one because I didn't realize that self-driving cars would go to that level of detail. I thought it was more about sensing objects and sizes it's, of objects. Am yeah, I right in that? It's taking a scenario that could happen in the future. I'm sure that yeah, at some yeah, point, okay. like, self-driving cars would have the ability to be able to you know, mark details like that. If you program yeah, them sure. to do that, um, yes. yeah, I I think that was more further in the future than than the yeah. the issue of having the, the self driving car. Yeah. But but um, you know, I, I mentioned listening to the previous episode we did on this, and one of the things I mentioned was as Google is developing their self driving car, they said we're using the Maps team and reapplying the technology there. It's not a stretch to say that they would use the photos team that they have today to apply the technology to this situation and discover if somebody's wearing a helmet. I mean, exactly. Google Photos today, you can search text uh, for horse and somehow it knows what a picture of a horse is without you telling it that. And so, you mean I mean, a it's horse? sort of, yeah, a horse. <laughs> Sorry. It's sort of the same technology, right? That they would be able to, I think, discern that maybe not as soon as they come out, but eventually. It's not, I don't think it's that far fetched. Um, yeah. But what do you think about how it the co- other part of what I said about the programmer yeah. not necessarily being the one to blame? Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I, and I, I don't, I can't see how something this scale, being a programmer, I can't see how something this scale would be able to be traced back to the person who wrote the code. Um, mm-hmm. Because you're talking about a lot more than one line of code or, right. you know, I mean, it's it's not it's not one person building this whole thing. It's a team of... At least in the case of Google, I think they've said they have thousands of people uh, working on maps and, and working on this self-driving car team. So it's not even if you traced it back to that group, I don't think you'd be able to like do a get blame on oh who wrote this this one decision structure, <laughs> you know. And then there's also, I think from a technical perspective, there's also machine learning implications where, you know, if you look at the DeepMind uh, AlphaGo thing where they beat the the Go player. Um, Sundar talks about the the machine making a creative move. I'm not sure I'd use that language personally, but uh, there's a sense in which 
the machine teaches itself to make decisions that the programmer didn't realize were going to come up. And so if it's one of those things, it's even less on the programmer. Uh, I don't think that removes responsibility from the person who makes it, the company who makes it or um, the person who buys it and uses it. Um, but I don't think you'd be able to trace it back to the, the one person who coded it, at least in this case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, again, with the advent of self-driving cars, the crash rate is going to go significantly down. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I agree with that. And I'm not sure. Uh, the thing with this scenario is if self-driving cars get to this level of of uh, of detail, detail as far as figuring yeah. out, okay, there's these three options and these are the pros and cons of each of these actions, you know, within a split second. Right. Um, right. That that is going to happen so rarely that, like, after watching the video the first time, um, I could see, you know, you kind of think about um, motorcyclists, like, after hearing of, you know, instances like this, you know, going out, uh, being afraid to put a helmet on while they're cycling because they're afraid mm-hmm. that they'll get into this kind of an accident. But... Maybe targeted this, by the self-driving car. This accident might happen like three times a year, if that. Like, if you're talking about this kind of uh, of this kind of uh, no-win scenario where you have a three-lane highway scenario, and yeah. you have, or, or something like that, uh, it's going to be. I don't. I don't know. I feel. I feel like there's going to be very little um, uh, out uproar about a pattern emerging. You know, like, well, yeah, so I don't think you're definitely not saying it's going to happen so infrequently that it doesn't matter because mm -hmm. we can't say that as Christians. Human life is sacred. Right. And and we have to care when, when life is at stake, um, you know, from the womb all the way to, you know, old age. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so you're not saying that. Right. Um, but at the same time I had, I had that thought listening to the video of like, man, this scenario is really tricky. Like you said earlier, I can't think of a way out of it. But I also don't think this is going to be a very common thing. Um, and so I don't know if you, yeah, I don't know if new legislation is necessary if if it's like what I said earlier where it's treated as it is today, where, you know, the company's at fault and then the cost may be higher for the consumer type of thing. Um, I don't know, like if I had to make, program the decision structure, I don't think I could do that. Yeah. Um I'm not sure. It's it's like the yeah. scena- it's like the uh, thought experiment where, or not even a thought experiment. I'm I'm sure this has happened, but um, if you have uh, a woman who's giving birth, who um, they either can save the child or save the mother, or and one of them is going to die. Um, like in either scenario, you are essentially well. I guess in this case, it, with the self-driving car, they would be actively injuring someone else as opposed to saving some but if right, you if right. you have to kill the baby to save the mother's life during this birth you know in in either case you're either performing uh you're either killing someone via negligence or killing or, or like killing the mother via you know just letting nature take its course or or saving the mother by killing the child and there is not a good way out of that you know you have a moral good and a moral bad in each action um and that's kind of the way this goes too which 
I, I hate to have it lead to pragmatism, but um, there is like when you get to a moral uh, a moral quandary such as this, a moral dilemma, like a true moral dilemma, you almost have to go. I wonder if we need to almost think about it pragmatically. Like, I, I and I hate saying that, but um, maybe a random decision is better in this in that case. If that's what we're that's sort of the conclusion. About. It seems like the video came to. Um, I don't. I don't know if I would go there, but I'm not saying I have a better answer. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, there definitely is a presuppositional issue here, um, where you know it's sort of assumed in the video that well, of course, we're just going to choose the utilitarian option. We're going to do the least harm, sort of the harm principle, mm-hmm. uh, if you will, and then that's going to, of course, be the best the best solution, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think that language was used over and over again, uh, you know, without really questioning or even thinking about it. Um, I don't think we can think that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think we have to understand that there is objective um, truth here. There, there is moral good and bad. It's not just hurt as few people as you can, and that's the best situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't bear out in history or in theology. Right. Um, so... I, I don't know. I, I sort of wanted to question that to yeah. to the the person who made the video. Um, I mean, if we were atheists, this decision would be very easy because then we just go with the you know what which which scenario loses the least, and then that's yeah, you just go with the, the most answer. evolved person, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. Who's got the blondest, the most, most valuable person eyes? who has evolved the most? If they have wings, then they win. <laughs> Precisely. Just well, kidding. Uh, just okay. kidding. So you said something about calling me out on something? <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. Um, as I was listening to the uh, the last one, uh-huh. I, I actually backed it up and listened again so I could get a timestamp just for you. Uh-huh. Um, and I know, like, I'm not. It's not really a call out. It was just kind of a funny thing. Uh-huh. <clears throat> um, you know, on the tech neutrality, it you know episode that we did. Mm-hmm. I heard you in episode 20 on self driving cars around 40 minutes say something like. With every new technology, there's pros and cons, and we have to figure out what those are. And it's not the technology itself, it's how you use it. Yes. And I was like, oh, man, you can trace, like, Derek's opinion changing on this over time. That's kind of that's kind of neat. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I was going to say, like, that is that is what I thought at that point. Um, yeah, and you've been clear about that. It's, so, it's mm-hmm. not a... It, I, I call out was more of a joke, but... Yeah. But, yeah, was it was funny. just funny because I was listening back to it and heard that, and I was like, oh, hey, that's kind of funny. Yeah, right. And Chally said the same same sort of thing I thought mm-hmm. last week. Um, I don't know if you heard it or heard it the same way that I did, mm-hmm. uh, but it sounded like he kind of said, you know, with every new technology, we have to figure out what the pros and cons are, and it's not, it's sort of ha- in how you use it, it's not the technology in itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that sort of seems to be a prevailing, prevailing view, uh, at least among people, but I don't know if it's necessarily right or wrong. We've talked about that before. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it still tend that way, but (laughs) it would be like, okay, so I agree. I absolutely agree with you. Um, but I would qualify it more. It's like, um, it's like an Armenian saying that a Calvinist doesn't believe in free will. Well, Calvinist does believe in free will, but they'd qualify it, you know, a lot. Um, you know, but anyway, getting off on a rabbit trail. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually like to be really pro-free will in those conversations just because it, it causes people to listen to actually what you have to say. Right, right. But, uh, you know, sort of everyone assumes that the the um, caricature 
the straw man. So it's like, well, no, you, you, you make real choices. Like you're free. <laughs> yep. It's just a different kind of freedom than you think you have. Right. It's not self-determinative or autonomous. It is uh, what you want to do most at any given moment. So it's still freedom. But mm-hmm. anyway, <clears throat> it's kind of funny. You're free to choose poorly. <laughs> you chose poorly. Essentially. <laughs> yep. And I, as I told a friend this week, if it were up to me, uh, alone, I would choose poorly every single time because mm-hmm. that's, right. <laughs> that's what my nature wants. That's what and that's the sad wants. state of things. Um, but anyway, I think, uh, as we're kind of wrapping this one up, it obviously is pretty important. Um, because as we've noted, we're, we're talking about life here. Um, and, and as the video made very clear towards the end, someone's going to make these decisions, uh, even in the few edge cases that the rare cases that it does occur, it probably will occur, and uh, someone is going to have to decide um, what the car is going to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, the video asked, should that be the government? Should that be private companies? Should that be programmers? Should that be us? Uh, you know, in it's sort of a democratic society sense, or, you know, who's going to decide? And so to take us back to the beginning, I think it's one of, the, it's one of those things where Christians have to think deeply about this from a biblical perspective and come to the table and um, speak about it. Um, and, and challenge assumptions and presuppositions and try to bring what God has to say to bear on, on this topic. Do you guys have any recos this week? I've got one. Uh, so there is this uh, phone mount, a tripod mount. Um Four smartphones that came out on Kickstarter like, I don't know, was it like seven years ago? Something like that? It's been a while. No, it can't be can't be quite that long. I don't know. Anyway, it's called the Glyph. Um, it was originally made for the iPhone 4 and was made to, you know, perfectly uh, clamp onto, you know, the iPhone 4 in a very elegant design. And they've released various uh, um, iterations of it throughout the years. And they just announced a new Kickstarter for a redesigned glyph with a quick release that holds your phone securely and lets you attach a bunch of stuff to it. I'm not really a photographer, but I've always liked my glyph, uh, but now it doesn't work because I have a completely different phone. And uh, yeah, this looks pretty great. If you're into uh, casual smartphone photography or if you have a Gorillapod that you just want to attach any phone to, um, this would be a fantastic option and I highly recommend it. These guys are good at getting their Kickstarters fulfilled. So don't worry about that. It's already funded. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like you can have a funded Kickstarter and then have it completely go down the drain, but these guys have been oh, on the block a yes. few times. So yeah, I have had that happen and three years ago actually, and I still have not gotten the reward for that one. Oh man. I have not had that happen yet and I funded a bunch of Kickstarters, so I am lucky. <laughs> You should see the comments on this project. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, from people who haven't got the rewards yet. I'm oh, sure they mob justice all over that one. Oh, yes, they did. Getting nasty tweets. Some internet mob justice vomit right there, man. Get Mr. Yiannopoulos onto that. Oh, boy. Craig, do you have any recos? Um, I do. On Following on from Derek's record, I don't know if I've recorded this before, but I don't think I have. If you're at all into iPhone photography, uh, I'm going to record a podcast that you should listen to. It's called the Tiny Shadow Podcast. Um, those guys are great. Uh, they've featured me a few times, f- like they feature someone's photo every week, um, as post pick of the week. 
uh, and they just cool. generally talk about what's what's new with iPhone iPhone photography. Um, I think these days they're doing a weekly challenge, so they give you a theme to take a photo of that week, and you just hashtag Tiny Shutter on Instagram, and they um, search through the feed and pick out the best one and sort of critique it each week. Um, so check them out. The other thing is I went uh, shopping. I- I'm going to recommend secondhand books, um, which we won't put a Wikipedia link to, but um, <laughs> <laughs> the letter I caught up, with you. A, <laughs> caught up with a mate of mine um, a couple of days ago who's a professional illustrator, um, and he's amazing at what he does. He, he does incredible illustrations, uh, but obviously he loves reading. He loves books um, and stories, and so we went. He he took me to a whole bunch of secondhand bookshops because I've recently had a child and I was on uh, a week of leave this week, so um, just uh, had a little bit of time and uh, we just hung out for the day. But we also went to all these secondhand bookshops and bought really cheap books. And I was stoked because I got the works of Josephus, eighteen ninety edition, in like a nice hardcover. You know, so this is a historian who who wrote about Jesus, um, Jewish historian who wrote about Jesus, which was pretty cool, super old school, um, for like seven dollars or something. Uh, but nice. what I actually want to recommend is I got the collected works of G.K. Chesterton, um, which is his basically his poetry. So, I know Chesterton was uh, Catholic um, and we won't go there, but uh, some of his poetry is really cool. So, if you're at all into that, I, this is like the most low-tech recommendation we've ever done. <laughs> there it is. And I don't have a recommendation this week because I've been quite the recommendation hog lately. So, uh, I'll just say, if you would like to <laughs> connect with us... You can do so by jumping in our Slack team. Sign up at slack.techreformation.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Tech Reformation for uh, all your tech you should know needs. And you can tweet us uh, not nasty things and uh, we'll have a good time. <laughs> you can also go to our website, techreformation.com, to search for past shows and topics, which I'm updating the tags for right now. Nice. You can also email us at ask at techreformation.com. That's ask, A-S-K. Yes. <laughs> there was a K on the end. A-S-K. <laughs> I love you guys. I didn't really think about that when choosing the uh, URL for the email. Oh, well. I love American no accents. No wonder people don't email us. <laughs> <laughs> They're trying to. They're just using the wrong one. We are a part of the Theology Mix Network. Uh, You can check out the website and the iTunes master feed in the show notes. And I'm going right now to Overcast to check and see if we've made it back into the religion and spirituality section. And it looks like, drumroll please, we have. Yes, we have. But we're pretty dang low. Uh, and I think that's because people are still subscribed to the wrong uh, the wrong feed. I yeah. noticed this week that I had to subscribe to the right feed, so uh, please do that. Uh, you can search Tech Reformation. There's only one that comes up, but it might not be the one that you're um, subscribed to. So delete that and uh, subscribe to the new one. Mm-hmm. And um, recommend us on Overcast before this thing uh, disappears. Yeah, so just to clarify that uh, for people, if you are on iTunes, you are fine. If you're subscribed to us on iTunes in any way, you're fine. If you've subscribed to us via any third-party application, well, actually, Google Play, you're probably fine, too. Um, but uh, if you've scri- subscribed to us via any third-party uh, podcast catcher, not within the past month, uh, delete your subscription and subscribe again because our feed changed, and that feed will be dying in about three weeks. So get on that and keep us coming. You've been warned. This has been tech reformation thanks for listening and we'll see you next week
Hey, everyone. So this would be normally the time of the show where uh, you would be listening to the end credits and uh, then you'd reach the end of the song and usually there'd be something funny back in back in this section of the podcast. However, this week, we need your help. If you love Tech Reformation and listen to it every week, um, I'd love for you to help us out by going to our website, techreformation.com slash survey and taking a short survey that it's like you can get done with it in like a minute or two. Um, it would really help us out to learn more about you. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much all I have. So get over to techreformation.com slash survey and take our short like minute and a half to two minute survey. We very much appreciate it. And thank you for listening. And that's all the tech you should know this week. If we left out something you think we should have considered. Oh my goodness. Whoa, Derek is making out with his wife. Whoa, whoa. Get a room. Oh my goodness. No, I'm, I'm confused. This is not the rugged marriage. <laughs> okay, sorry, I'm back.